Hey, I'm Claire. And I'm Janice. And this is The X-Files, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. We are breakup coaches here to help you beat your breakup, heal your broken heart, and move on to an amazing, abundant life. All right, everyone, welcome to this week's episode. We just want to start it off with a trigger warning for domestic violence, gun violence, and stalking Stalking behavior. So yeah, just want to give you a heads up if those things are not on the table for you maybe skip this episode. So we'll be back with some more more content next week. And we've got lots of other content that you can listen to. Um, But yes, if those are going to uh, trigger you, this is not the episode for you. Cool. So this week we are interviewing Ruth Glenn. She is the president and CEO of the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence. We are so happy to have had her on the show. Um, At the time of recording this intro, we have done the interview and Mm -hmm. I just want you guys to know this is such an impactful conversation. Her story is so inspiring. And as she says repeatedly throughout the episode, her story isn't really even that special um, in terms of like what survivors of domestic violence have gone through. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we just want to start off by saying like, these are some of the strongest people you'll ever probably come across. Um, Domestic violence is so important for us to talk about. Um, and Janice, you can jump in whenever. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, yeah I'm, I'm sitting here shaking my head very happily. Yeah. Um, we are going, you know, we're using this episode as kind of a kickoff to an entire month of content around domestic violence, healthy relationships. And that is because October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And because we have a platform and because I also do want to use the opportunity to state if I haven't on this show before that I am a survivor of domestic violence and I know how easily this happens to people. I know how prevalent it is. And because X-Files has grown to have such a, you know, amazing platform and already have an impact in helping people to find healthier relationships. We wanted to use this month to be supportive to survivors, to help prevent it, to help people know that they're not alone. And we happened to make a great connection with Ruth Glenn and the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, which we will also be supporting and promoting all month long. Yes. So yeah. So Ruth tells her story. She's also a survivor and then ended up as the president of the coalition. And it's, it's incredible. Her story is so inspiring. She gives lots of really good information also yeah. about the mis, um, misconceptions and yeah. the myths around domestic violence. And that was really important to us to do. Exactly. Yeah. Like it has nothing to do with your intelligence, your strength, your childhood upbringing. None of these things has an impact on like pre pre uh, selecting you. you or predisposing mm-hmm. yes. you. Yep. Yes, that was it. Um, <laughs> or ending up in an abusive relationship. This can happen to anyone, right. and yes. especially if you like 
see yourself as very like strong and intelligent and loving and caring, like, yeah, you can still end up in a really dangerous situation. So, right. and I mean, I, I know for me, I, I thought that it was my strength and my, uh, you know, and my ability to love and be there for someone else that kept me in it for so long. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I'm really glad that you're saying that because I do think that there are lots of, um, cliche like yeah about around why a person would end up in this situation and why someone would you know maybe target someone that they saw as weak or vulnerable and I hate when people describe victims and survivors as vulnerable I hate it so much and that like it's almost as if they did something wrong by being vulnerable yeah like they left themselves like open to attack right yeah exactly and it's it's not not true at all I know that we probably have people listening who mm-hmm. are struggling with, you know, kind of navigating a relationship that they don't think is the healthiest. And I'm mm-hmm. just, I'm so honored to be a part of this month. I'm so thrilled that you were excited to do it too, Claire. Yes. I'm really <laughs> thrilled about the connection that we made with the coalition and Ruth and yeah, oh, man, and, you know, yeah. being part of the solution this month. Exactly. Yeah. And one thing I think was really interesting about her story, which we'll dive pretty much right into after this, is that the abuse for her didn't even start until she was after she was married. And so I thought that was a really interesting point, too, that it's like, how could how could you have known? you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah. yeah. So that's a really interesting um, point that just st- stood out to me in particular. So. With There's that, them. yeah, um, yeah, please. Um, this is a really important episode. We thank everyone for listening. If you're not going to listen because of the trigger warnings, that's perfectly understandable as well. Yes. We are actually coming in next week with detailed episodes about healthy relationships and what they look like, and unhealthy relationships and yeah. what they look like. So, you know, maybe those episodes will be more for you, exactly. Yeah, we're doing like a double thing. So, if you're like, ah, all of this is very triggering. Mm-hmm. I'd like to focus on positivity. We have just healthy attributes in one episode and (laughs) part B or A, I'm not sure which one necessarily goes first. Um, We have kind of red flags, unhealthy attributes as well. So yeah, we are, we're trying to make this accessible to um, everyone, depending on your level of respect resourcedness um and and, yeah comfort and with that let's go ahead and meet ruth uh welcome to x-files ruth we have been looking forward to this it's so important to us that we you know do something really really good with x-files and with this space Mm -hmm. we're honored that you're a part of it and honored that you are willing to share your story not just with x-files listeners but the world yeah welcome thank you so much janice very much it's very nice to meet you and clarence so it's nice to to meet you you. as well and it's really lovely that we're all ending up living in the same space yes dedicated (laughs) to the same mission of healthy relationships absolutely my god well we have a lot to go over I guess um, we might as well go ahead and dive into it. Um, You came to this work because of wanting to use your story to help 
victims, survivors, and advocates. So we'd love to just kick things off with hearing a bit about what that story is and how this ended up being such a passion of yours. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you're right. I've um, came to this as a survivor and um, having been victimized for many, many years and um, 25 years ago, I just thought, you know, there, there has to be a reason why I survived and uh, what, what can I do about that? And I want to be clear, I'm not alone. Um, I just happen to have finally in the past few years, a platform that I can really speak for not only myself, but others who have been hurt by uh, those that claim to care about them. Um, So if you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I'll just kind of start from here and work backwards. Please do. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I came to the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence and CADV seven years ago. Um, And I came after retiring from 28 years of work with the state of Colorado. Uh, Yeah. Um, I, I decided that in my job, at the state of Colorado, even though the last 10 of those 28 years I was working in the domestic violence program for the state of Colorado, I still didn't feel like I was being able to advocate. Um, It's more of, as you can imagine, as in any kind of government system, it's, it's just a bit more bureaucratic and doesn't allow for the space for activism or advocacy or any of those Mm -hmm. kinds of things. Yeah. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So I decided uh, that I was going to retire. And it just so happened. I was, um, calling my grandchild for the second time in two days. <laughs> uh, uh, a thing popped up on my, an email popped up and said, um, we'd like to announce the res- resignation of the executive director of the MCADB. And I thought, oh my I'll gosh. just go, I know I'll go in for three months and uh, do some work with them and um, then figure out the rest of my life. And here I am seven years later. Um, But I bring that up because the reason why I'm still here seven years later is I have found a place to advocate uh, and be an advocate. Mm -hmm. Whereas I hadn't found that before, not in the way I wanted to, I wanted to be able to influence policy and I wanted to be able to speak uh, nationally and, and even globally uh, for other survivors. Mm-hmm. Um, and what brought me um, to Colorado was uh, well over 40 years ago when I was married at the time. Uh, I got married to my then husband and uh, it, I was 19. And I knew that he was going to fix it all and uh, very, very charming, charismatic, all of those things. And within two weeks after we were married, I had been pretty badly beaten and um, the neighbors downstairs from our apartment uh, came up and got me and said, you know, they gave him the what for, um, Mm -hmm. for having done that. And, um, you know, I'm not sure why, but nobody called the police, including myself. And I will tell you that I remained married for the next 13 years. And um, that certainly wasn't the only um, incident of domestic violence, event of domestic violence. And by domestic violence, just to be clear, it's not always physical, Mm -hmm. um, because there were certainly many 
different types of violence in the relationship I had with him. And by that, I mean him perpetrating violence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to be very clear too that uh, there is no such thing as a domestic abuse relationship or relationship abuse or um it's very rare that there's mutual abuse, right? Uh, to be very clear, there's mm-hmm. usually a perpetrator or an abuser and a victim um, survivor. So um, over those 13 years, um, I had um, endured physical abuse, financial abuse, many, many different control tactics. And we can talk about control tactics later. Um, But um, when people um, were curious about what had happened to me, I said, you know, it's not a a clear path. It's not. Um, There were many times that we got along really well. Mm -hmm. And I, I did not stop loving him because he was abusive. I wanted him to stop being abusive. And so for those 13 years, I just held on to hope um, that whatever it was that I was doing wrong, uh, because I was certain I was doing something wrong for a very long time. And whatever it was that he needed um, would all get fixed and he would stop being abusive. Um, I've had... um, um, firearms held to my head. I've been strangled. He used to call that choke out. He would choke me out. Um, and I was raising my son that we had together at the same time. So, um, speaking specifically to those in your audience who may have children and experiencing domestic violence and, or so that you all understand, um, I carried around a lot of guilt for many years for having, um, trying to raise my son and, and what was happening to me. Um, and then it began to happen to him, but, um, I do recognize now that I was the safest parent for him and I was doing all that I could, um, to make sure he was safe when it became unsafe for him is when I determined that I should leave. Um, in conjunction with another event that happened, which was, um, we also happened to work at the same place, which was very fascinating. Right. Gosh. Yeah. Uh And so, um, there came a point where, um, my supervisor had called me into her office because I had been missing days of work again. And, um, this particular time he was keeping me awake a couple of nights, just haranguing and, you know, kind of being, um, there was some physical abuse and, you know, the point is it doesn't matter what kind of abuse it was. It was abusive. It kept me from moving about my world normally and healthily, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a health perspective, healthy perspective. And she said to me, I know what's going on for you. And I said, what? She said, I, I think there's violence in the home. And I don't think you have to guess that I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, it was partly my denial, but it was also partly that I did not understand what domestic violence was. 
I, I was beginning to become very aware that what was happening wasn't right. I just couldn't remember. I'm still going back to the hope and sort of like the denial of this can't be happening to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's not happening to me. And, you know, as much as we'd all like to deny it, particularly for those of us who are feminists, um, you know, there is a part of you that says, not me. Yes. Even those things, those lifetime movies that I was watching and, you know, that's not me. Mine's Mm -hmm. different. There's something else, you know? Yeah. Um, So anyway, uh, I'll never forget uh, my supervisor at the time saying that to me and then watching what was beginning to become overt um, aggressions against my son. And I thought, okay, enough. Um, I would like to tell you that after I talked to her, I packed up my bags and was out of there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that is not how it happened. Um, it still took me two years to be able to leave. Um, the fear was so great and the uncertainty of, of what my son and I might experience, yeah. uh, leaving was very scary. Um, and just so you all are clear, because you all are, are obviously much younger than me. This was in 1992. Okay. So I was not aware of what resources there were and there Mm -hmm. weren't as many resources. Mm -hmm. So um, even figuring out what do I do next, even if I do leave was very uncertain and scary, very scary. Um, You know, there's an old saying, you know, sometimes it's better the devil, you know, than the devil you don't. Yes, I can um, relate to that a lot, exactly. actually, mm, especially exactly. after 13 years together. Yeah. Yes. That would be scary yes. for most women leaving uh, any marriage. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and I would like to say that it's scary for any domestic violence victim to leave any person that is hurting them yeah. because it can be 13 years of marriage. It could be dating. It could be anything. You could have mm-hmm. known somebody for three months and then they start stalking you and, you know, this kind of thing. Uh, it's a very difficult because one of the things that happens, just as a side note to all of this, before I finish my story, mm-hmm. um, it is the control mechanisms begin to chip away at your rationality. That Now, I want to be very clear. That doesn't mean you're irrational. Mm-hmm. Don't, I don't want to ever give that impression, but you begin to question things because that is what they've done to you. Yeah. Uh, everything is not quite even or on kilter or that kind of thing. Um, so when I had to think of, when I made up my mind, when I made up my mind, I was going to leave. It still took me two years to make that happen. Two years. I hid money under the waterbed mattress. Yes, I grew up in the area of waterbed mattresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, hid keys. I began to take uh, single checks. Um, I was made, I was, I had a very good job, a decent job where I could sneak away money. Uh, not a whole yeah. lot, but I could sneak away money. Um, and I decided that when I left, I was going to cut every tie except for the son tie, you know, the tie between him and my son. Um, so 
make a long story short, one day my son walked in from school. He was 13 years old. I said, honey, um, I want to leave your dad and I would love it if you go with me. What would you like to do? He said, mom, of course I want to go with you. Now, before that, my husband had also uh, probably a month before, I think it was the real jump, the real leap, uh, about a month before he had held a, a firearm to my son's head. Oh, my God. And said, well, he had, he had held it to my son's head first, and then he held it to my head and said, if you ever do that again, I will kill your mother. Um, and that was the last time that that I... I just said enough. I, I just can't. It's one. And, you know, survivors also justify in our minds why we're putting up with this stuff. I love him. He'll change. I don't he know what to me. do. From the, yes. Hmm. Yes. Um, he'll. Um, and if he ever, I'm an adult, so I can take it. And if he ever does it to my children or my child, then, you know, it's all mm-hmm. over. That's how we, we work through our minds. So we left. Um, I was gone six months and, um, he came and kidnapped me from my apartment, um, with my son, knowing that he held me for four, four and a half hours, um, at gunpoint and asked me to kill him or he was going to kill me. Now in those six months, the harassment and stalking was just constant. Um, I never knew when he was going to be behind my car. I never knew when he was going to be outside the fence, you know, all of those kinds of things. I would get cards in the mail telling me I'd love, I love you. Um, he would call me and tell me what a bitch I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like it was flip all right all over the place. So those first six months uh, were horrendous. After he kidnapped me, of course, he lost his job because it, we were still working at the same place. Oh my oh. God. You had to see him every day. Oh my God. So they that's how he kept finding you. Yep. Um, to some degree, um, it's more complicated than that, but I also decided to stay as close to my son's school as possible because I was mm-hmm. thinking, you know, once he settles down, then there can be, I don't want to disrupt my son too much more. Um, looking back on it, uh, I don't blame myself, but it probably would have been a better idea to go somewhere else. Um, <laughs> so we stayed in Denver and um, did the best we could. So anyway, after the kidnapping, the job finally did fire him. And I knew that there was going to be a huge escalation, which there was huge. Oh. Um, that's when he began to do the real threats. I mean, there were real threats before these were frightening. Um, and so, uh, one particular time I told him to pretty much, I won't use the words that I used, but I pretty much told him to leave me alone. Um, and I do remember saying very clearly, I left because you were controlling me and you're still doing that. And I didn't even know, you know, about the dynamics of domestic violence at the time. All I knew is here I am. I feel like I'm a smart person and I feel like this and I feel like that. And these are the reasons I left. And here you are still doing this. Mm -hmm. Um, So that evening I looked in my rearview mirror and he was following me. Um, He followed me for about a mile and a half, forcing me to pull over. I had to pull over for a whole lot of reasons. One, my car wouldn't have outran his. 
Um, secondly, we're on a major road and I was fearful that he was going to hurt somebody else or run into somebody else. So, um, and those are, you know, just not justification for me pulling over because I would dare anybody else to think about how they would do it differently. And it may not be that answer, but there might be other things that you can do. I didn't feel like I had no choice, but to pull over, uh, for many, many reasons. Um, uh, he, um, backed his car up against mine um, in this parking lot area type deal, got out. And I honestly thought he was going to just beat me up. Um, and I was sort of prepared for that. It's kind of like, you know, if this gets us through this latest, whatever, let's go for it. Just let it happen. Just let mm-hmm. it happen. Yeah. Uh, there's this. nobody around. Yeah. Nobody around. They can't hear me. So what am I going to do? Um, he went back to his car after cursing at me for a while. Um, and as I looked down to back up, he, I happened to look back up and he was in front of me with a firearm and, uh, uh, shot me twice and, um, pretty much walked back to his car. And I thought, Oh my God, he really did it. I mean, cause wow. you know, even after 13 years, there was still something about the fact that he wouldn't do that. He had threatened it, our whole marriage, mm-hmm. but there's still a part of you as, as a, a loving person, as a human being, as so many things that there's still a part of you that thinks, you know, he wouldn't do that. Yeah. Uh, but he did. Uh, so I fell out of my car and Um, As I fell out of my car, I was thinking, oh, my God, he's going to come back and shoot me again, or he's going to come back and run me over because he had to make a U-turn. And um, I tried to pretend like I was dead. And uh, somehow he understood I wasn't and shot me again. Oh, my God. And and he said um, something to the effect of, you're not dead yet, bitch. And uh, I just remember laying there just in shock um and blood was everywhere of course and i'm sorry i don't mean to be too dramatic but i think it's important in the context of why um what i'm hoping we'll get to later is why doesn't she leave you know why did she stay those kinds of questions but well this um, is happening to people all over this country all the time and it's escalated every day right recently and and Mm -hmm. I, like I said early on, when we first started this, I am not alone. And my story is not that unique. It's unique because I'm Ruth and it's unique because of this, this, and this, but you were absolutely correct. Somewhere every 15 to 30 seconds, someone, and particularly a woman is experiencing domestic violence in this nation, 15 to 30 seconds. Uh, by the time that you and I, I, all of us are done with this, I mean, calculate that. I don't, I'm not good at math, so I won't try. Um, <laughs> don't ask me. It's not our right. first time. That's, right. that's, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. That's, you know, roughly. Well, anyway. Um, so, uh, but I also knew um, that my son was now going to be a target. Um, so I was able to get back in my car. Uh, drive and get help. And uh, he had not gone back to get my son. Uh, thank God. Um, oh my gosh. Believe it or not, 
Um, I, uh, the, the doctors couldn't believe it. Um, but <laughs> uh, I'm not laughing because it's funny. I'm just laughing at thinking about how they were responding when I got to the hospital, which was, oh my God, I, we cannot believe that you're going to be okay. This is hours after CAT scans. And, you know, cause wow. uh, I got shot twice in the head and what's in the arm. And they were like, no way is this possible. Wow. Um, and so what happened then was um, my son and I had to go into hiding for about four months. I was only in the hospital for three days. Three days. Uh, and, what? And the only reason I was in there the third day is they were trying to find me as some safe haven. Oh, gotcha. You know, like a hotel. Yeah. Or that kind of thing. So um, I had a skull fracture and some other things, but um, I, I feel very, very, very fortunate. Yeah. But um, what happened is uh, we went into hiding for four months. Um, he went on the run for four months. And when they eventually found him, you know, they were looking for him for attempted murder. And uh, it was all over the news and, you know, all kinds of things. Um, he and I told them, I said, um, if you don't find him and sneak up on him, he's going to kill himself. And he did. Um, the reason why I think that that's important, and particularly with the experience I've had now and, then, and my knowledge base that I've built up is abusive persons are also, when they're at the end of their rope on how to keep control, the ultimate act of control is to take your own life. Um, so I was not surprised he did that. Um, and then quickly before I move on is I want you to know everything has, uh, it's been a long journey to, to feeling somewhat healthy. I don't think any of us are hundred percent healthy, yeah. a long journey. Um, but once, once I started, um, in 1995 is when I started, um, you know, speaking, and saying, you know, I, I want to talk about this because um, it happens to everybody. I happen to be able to have a platform in different ways, such as on funding boards. And mm -hmm. uh, because it made such news here in Denver, a lot of the TV stations like on OJ's thing, they called and that. So I'll, I'll use my voice. And then uh, ended up here. Um, I did go back to college. I went to college um, and got my BA and a master's. Uh, which I'm very proud of because it was something he told me I would never be able to do. Uh, so there's been, a, yeah, there's been a lot of, a lot of uh, inroads and growth. Um, but I do remind people that you don't live through something like that for that long without having it have some kind of imprint on your life. And it does, um, you know, I, I have bouts of PTSD. I don't, I don't, it, it, some days are worse than others. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, but I will say I, I'm very, very pleased and uh, most days happy to be an advocate for vi victims and survivors. Um, so um, that's the capsule version. Oh, it's uh, an incredible story. I'm speechless almost. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, for sharing and 
um, for, I mean, so you decided you wanted to share your story and when did you start working for the state of Colorado? I, so I was working, remember we worked there together. So I started working for the state of Colorado in 1985. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I retired from the state of Colorado in 2013. Um, so, and then this happened in 1992. Yeah. So the state of Colorado did really good about keeping uh, me with a job because as you can imagine, I couldn't work at location or in, you know, um, uh, for a while. So, um, I encourage all workplaces to think about how to respond to, survivors mm-hmm. and victims of domestic violence. And uh, although it was 92, there were some pieces of that that others should take away with them and think about as they deal with people in their workplace who are experiencing domestic violence. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for, for sharing your story with us. And it just like strikes me how at every turn you were strong and like, you know, I think so often with these situations, someone can just assume like, oh, they will talk about why people stay, um, coming up here, but you know, it has nothing to do with your intelligence or self-sufficiency or strength or fortitude or how much, you know, anything about you. Um, so I just like, thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's, it's in the details that, that people like gain a lot of empathy who maybe haven't ever experienced anything like this or even close to it. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And just as a note to that, you know, I tell people all the time that um, survivors are the strongest people I know um, from the outside, they look weak because they're putting up with it from the inside it is taking every bit of energy persistence perseverance courage to -hmm. deal with this and um i i just think that they are the most remarkable people totally agree totally agree um so we know you know we mentioned earlier that people are experiencing domestic violence every minute across the United States and the world. And if there's someone listening who believes maybe they're in an abusive relationship, but they're not really sure, you mentioned in your story sleep deprivation. Um, And so maybe um, if you could speak on some of the things that aren't physical, um, that can be like labeled as domestic violence and maybe help someone who's listening, who's not sure be like, understand that what they're going through does count. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, So uh, I refer to those as power and control tactics. And what they do is they chip away at your independence. They chip away at your being. Uh, particularly Mm -hmm. as a woman, for instance, and how you feel about your body, um, how you feel about how you move in the world. Um, So they can be things such as financial abuse, which is 
um, making sure that you don't see your paycheck, making sure you have nothing to do with the bills, making sure that the money is controlled by them. It can be emotional abuse, which is constant put downs. You'll never be good enough. You'll never be pretty enough. Who else is going to want you? Go ahead, try to do it on your own and see what happens. Uh, you're not a good mother. I'll take the kids. Uh, what court do you think is going to believe you about anything? Call the police. They won't believe you because you're in hysterical crying mess. Mm -hmm. uh, sexual abuse is very prevalent um, in domestic violence uh, abuse cases. It's, I, I have, uh, I was part of what we call the survivors task force here in Colorado years and years ago. And we actually had a, our own little retreat, so to speak. And there were about six of us in the room and only one of those survivors uh, did not mention sexual abuse. And, I'm, and that doesn't mean a thing to me other than giving you an example of how uh, sexual violence is used, uh, marital rape, date rape, all of those things when, when we're talking about domestic violence. We're also talking about um, isolation um, comes more about power. Isolation, not allowing you to call your parents, not allowing you to be a part of your, your family. Uh, and in fact, maybe even isolating you from their family. Um, also uh, making sure that uh, they have control over when you come and go. Why did it take you 15 more minutes to go to the grocery store? Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm monitoring the mileage you've gone 10 miles more than you needed to. Who was that you were talking to at work? I was in the parking lot and I saw you. Um, stalking, even if you're living together, they will still, they may still stalk you. Uh, we're hearing more and more about GPSs being put on cars and mm -hmm. uh, on phones and yeah. that kind of thing. Um, so there's a whole range of things. If you're feeling something, is that domestic violence? How do I know I'm experiencing domestic right. violence? And what I would say is that if you're feeling like you have no control over your life, and I don't mean um, how some of us get, you know, we have a lot of chaos coming at us and we're trying to figure out life in general and that kind of thing. But if you feel like someone else is controlling your life, and you no longer have the control that you either used to have or even that you'd like to have. Um, if you are feeling as though there's something unnatural, uh, not normal, I wouldn't say unnatural, not normal, whatever that normal is for you, because we all have a different normal, you may be experiencing domestic violence. And um, my advice is to seek out someone to talk to about that um, so that you can process it when, if you're ready, but that you can process it. Because the other thing is, um, I also call abusive persons crazy makers. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> because they will have you thinking there's something wrong with you and you're crazy. Yeah. Um, but when you're able to put it and out there and talk to somebody else about it or journal about it. Careful of journals because they can be used against you, which mm. happened to me. Um, but find somebody safe where you know 
it won't be breached. And if, if it means even your local community domestic violence program, do that. Um, but it is really helpful to talk through it with someone um, so that you're not, um, so you can be outside of the crazy making and uh, the control uh, while you're processing that. Yeah, getting um, a third party's opinion on, on the situation, I think is excellent advice, you know, because you're questioning yourself so much by Absolutely. the time you get to this point. I, I think that's wonderful. So then once you you do that, you are, and let's say you did arrive at the decision to attempt to leave, to end the relationship, quote, leave, walk away, what would you think would be a few fundamental things for someone to either do or put in place or um, steps to take to, to get out and, and stay out? I think that's a great question. Um, so I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to correct what you just said a little tiny, reframe it. Um, Go for it. Um, help them to think about what it they would need to leave and then maybe not stay out. <laughs> I thought that's but, what you were going to correct. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have to give, you know, survivors are controlled by somebody already. So I try to remind all of us that are helping, um, let's give them options, um, so that they get to control it. And, um, if they decide to leave, they decide to leave. And if they don't, they don't. Mm -hmm. But we make sure that as their friend, as their family, as their coworker, as their professor, whatever it might be, that when and if they're ready to talk to us about it, we have resources at our disposal. And mm -hmm. because if we have circles of friends, I guarantee you that all of us have an idea about somebody who's not being treated well or is experiencing some unhealthy stuff in their relationship. Um, so, you know, being a good bystander and making sure that you have stuff, um, stuff is resources is a technical term. You have, <laughs> you have things and resources available that you could share with that person, even if it's the hotline, that's all. Mm -hmm. Say, when you're ready, I will sit here in my home with you use of my cell phone so you can call the hotline. Yeah. I mean, it could be that simple or far more complicated, but what I would say to anyone listening who was at the crux of trying to figure out um, what they do to be safe, if that's what they're choosing to do, um, is develop a safety plan. I would advise not writing it down. I would say that we are own safety plan builders. I didn't know I was doing a safety plan. I had money, I did this and I did that. But in the end, it probably helped me a lot for the amount of time I was safe. Um, I always think about the worst case scenario. Well, what if, what if this happens? What if that happens? But also think about the good case scenario. What if that, what if that other thing doesn't happen at all? But first and foremost, I always uh, suggest that victims and survivors um, really assess their own safety, not how someone else might be saying that can keep you safe, not how you think you might be safe. You know that person better than anyone. And um, 
assessing your own safety is critical as you're formulating the safety plan. Uh, domestic violence programs can help with that. Your local domestic violence program, certainly called the National Domestic Violence Hotline. Um, there are various and sundry ways. And I always tell people, uh, only the survivor gets to decide when she leaves and when it's safe to leave. And he gets to determine that he may not stay gone or she may not stay gone, that it, it just feels safer to be back there. Or by the way, I still love them. And yeah. so I want to be back with them because I'm sure this taught them a lesson or, well, you know. and certainly judgment doesn't really do anything to help, <laughs> you know, no. when you're choosing between two bad outcomes or two bad places to go or two bad um, solutions. Absolutely. Um, you might go back to the person who accepts you the most, and that could be your abuser. That's right. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it or might the take one more that than one fit. time. Right. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're absolutely correct. And, um, you know, I still go back to um, survivors and victims don't get with abusive persons because they want to be hurt. Mm -hmm. Survivors and victims get with someone because they want to be loved or they're in love. I challenge anyone that's not even had an experience of domestic violence to think about when they've been in a relationship too long and there yeah. was no domestic violence and, you know, there was no sexual violence and there was no financial abuse. So that's where I think that sometimes we're judgmental as a society and the joy of the victim blaming. Um, and we've got to be really careful about that. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Speaking of victim blaming, like this might be the right time to cover that question of <laughs> like, why didn't you leave? Why did you stay? Um, why is it so difficult to leave? Like we talk about being in love with the person and, and you know, believing in their potential, not necessarily the reality of who they're showing themselves to be. Right. Right. Um, the reasons why did I stay or why doesn't she leave or he leave or are various and varied and sundry. Mm -hmm. um, you're right. Love, hope. Yeah. Um, I keep, it could be finances. That person's the breadwinner. And what am I going to do? Oh mm -hmm. my God, I have four kids. What am I going to do? A school change. We don't have our own money. Even the money I make, even though I may have a job, if I've got two children, how am I going to take care of two children by myself? Well, I can't run far enough because they know where I work. Um, and we, yeah. we know that once they begin to lose control, they start following around in places that are customary and habitual. Uh, they may have um, helped break off relationships with families. Remember that isolation? Yeah. Uh, and, and friends uh, too, you know, lots yeah. of people crash with their friends, but domestic violence can just completely obliterate friend That's friendships. That's right. Mm -hmm. I lost many friends in the early yes, same. part of our marriage. Yeah, I bet you did. Um, many friends. And it wasn't that they weren't empathetic. They just didn't get it. They're like, yeah, yeah. you're smart. You're right what the heck are you doing? Yeah. And I can't watch you be hurt anymore. Or 
you know, the occasional, um, you know, what have you done or, you know, all of those kinds of yes, things. Yes, you should have known blaming. better. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You knew what you were getting yourself into is something exactly. I heard. Mm. Exactly. So you could be talking about finances. You could be talking about location. You could be talking lack of access to family or friends because something severed those relationships, usually the isolation that's occurred. Um, Mm -hmm. You could be talking about, um, I mean, there are so safety is huge. I mean, I'm a perfect example of thinking I did all the right things um, to be, to keep me and my son safe. And nope, I did everything right. And by right, I mean what everyone thinks you should do. You know, I left, I made sure I was on my own. I made sure that I had my own apartment, my own lights, and I was making enough money. I kept my job to make sure that I could take care of myself and my son. So I wouldn't have to ask him and the list goes on and on and on. Um, And if we don't use anything else as an example about, well, why didn't she leave? And we ask that way, then we're missing it. Instead of saying, what can I do to help you plan for safety when you're ready? Yeah. Great. Um, I think a lot of people who can ask these questions, who are able to ask these questions, might not realize how daunting it can be to completely start your life over. Yeah. And a relationship provides structure that a lot of people get used to. And starting from scratch is scary and complicated. And don't judge until you've been there fear of retribution as well. Yes. Like, yeah, that, so many like oh, it'll get so saying. much worse mm-hmm. if I, yeah. if I try to leave, you know, mm-hmm. um, there's, um, I don't know whether you'd be open to talking about this. It's not on our uh, list of questions, but there is that what's turning into an abuse case. It was like the missing persons case of Gabby Petito. Um, like I obviously want to be like really respectful of her memory and like her family and friends who are grieving. Um, but there are various aspects in that, that just highlight so much like the, the isolation and the control of her phone and just all of these kind of warning signs. Um, and I, I don't know if you have any, any insight that you'd like to share on that or like how these can be like something to learn from for others possibly? Yeah. You know, um, I too have um, such reverence for her and her family. Um, I feel very strongly um that Gabby has left us the gift of talking about this. And I really wish it were different, um, but it's not. So you are absolutely correct though. Um, I, the first time I tried to watch the body cam video, I don't know if you all have seen it. Yeah, I I didn't last for more than 15 minutes. I just couldn't do it. It was such a perfect example of power and control. He was exercising his power through 
um, being a good old boy with the cops and, you know, doing that lighthearted. Oh, you know, she's crazy. Cause then we also get into the sexist misogynistic stuff, but that's for a whole nother classroom. Um, but, um, uh, the first thing I observed really quickly was her being very, very distressed. And if you all remember, she was really blaming herself. Yeah. She was deflecting off of him. But remember when Janice was talking about, um, or maybe it was you, Claire, I'm sorry, I forgot who said it, but the the retribution, what happens if I do, Mm -hmm. Uh, there was definitely, if it, I totally was understanding why she was doing that. She didn't want the police to take him, not just because they were in the middle of Utah, which if any of you have been there is beautiful and vast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're right. All of her life was in that van. Oh, so what do you mean? Oh, uh, oh my God. I got to think about that. Um, she didn't want him to go to jail. I'm sure of that. I'm absolutely certain of that. Um, and so the list goes on and on about why most of the nation that understands domestic violence knows that that's what we were witnessing. And Mm -hmm. it wasn't physical violence at that moment. You know, that wound he had on his face, Mm -hmm. I'd be willing to bet that was a self-defense wound from her. It, it, well, it was from her, but I'd be willing to bet it was self-defense. If the 911 caller had already said that one of them had already said he slapped her and he's pushing her. I can mm-hmm. guarantee you that didn't end when they got in the van and she mm-hmm. found herself having to defend herself. Yeah. Um, I am making a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. because we don't know. And I don't know that we will ever know um, because I have a funny feeling that even if he is apprehended alive, uh, he's never going to tell the story. Uh, but we know the dynamics of domestic violence and there it was right there yeah. on the body cam. Yeah. I thought it was really telling that she was saying um, she thought that she was being kind of a downer yeah, because yeah. he was belittling her project and telling her that it would never happen. And so that was kind of putting her in a bad mood. Yeah. yeah. And I can relate to that of, a lot. Yeah. Instead of looking at it as a power move you're never going to be good enough ever. You need me to be what you can be because you're not going to be good enough. I'm not a part of that project. So, you know, you're just not good enough. However, she Mm -hmm. seemed, which I could also relate to trying to involve him in every single effing aspect of her life as much as she possibly could probably Mm -hmm. because she felt like she had to. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Keep him happy. I'm happy because I'm in love with him and blah, blah, blah. But I already know that if I haven't already experienced some form of domestic violence, I already know yeah. that um, something could, could go topsy-turvy here. Yeah. So I guess that's, you know, that's something to take from this. Um, and like, tell me if you agree that, um, you know, I think one of her friends shared that he would take her driver's license away so she couldn't go out with friends and things. And so like that isn't like outright violence in the moment, but like just seeing kind of where things begin and they seem like 
oh, maybe he was just having a bad day and was feeling really jealous that day. And you're rationalizing because you love this person and then seeing kind of how things can build and it can end up being a life-threatening situation. I mean, we're especially when it's like there has to be violence involved, you know, in order for people to feel like they're validated and walking away often because the, the people in your life, that's the only thing that they really will validate you walking away for often. So I agree the last part of your Mm -hmm. sentence, which are your your premise, which is, you know, for most people from a bird's eye view until there's some kind of physical, really tragic violence, then they go, Oh, I remember, you know, blah, blah, blah. What I would say is that let's also remember that for victims and survivors, it's just not that quite cut and dry so yeah. in other words a person could be slowly manipulative and controlling and um ah for a very very long time and never commit physical violence or sexual violence um it could also be that within two or three weeks of getting together all of a sudden you know there's a violent physical or sexual altercation. Mm-hmm. So I, I always try to, to warn people, let's be careful about making it too simple. But yeah. I go back to what the original, um, what, what you were talking about, Janice, is what do we say is if it's making you uncomfortable at any degree, you don't feel like you have your independence any longer. You feel like you have to ask permission for way too many things. He's taking your driver's license. She's taking your keys you know, you look around and you show up with your friends at lunch and there they are standing Mm -hmm. there, you know, um, whatever that is that, you know, you, and I, I love talking about women in this aspect, which is, I don't think we as women pay enough attention to our intuitive senses. Uh, You know, we have a beautiful gift that says, um, and that's not to say that men don't have it either. I just, I really do firmly believe ours is stronger. Mm-hmm. Um, if we don't, if we don't do anything else, pay attention to our intuition, which is saying, you know, that didn't feel quite right. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, that didn't feel quite right. And I'm going to put this in the back of my head and I'm going to start now thinking about these other things. Yeah. Um, and it's okay to act on those. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You really don't need to give a reason or, or have a reason. You know, you nope. don't need to make your own argument. I do think if it doesn't feel right, that's as good of a reason as. That's as right. That's right. Um, yeah. We say that a lot on the show and want everyone listening yeah. to <laughs> write that right. down. Right. Again. You have a right to autonomy, freedom, and independence. Exactly. Yeah. You don't have a right even in, in maintaining those to hurt someone else. Yep. You do not, not relationships have a right. are for. That's yeah. right. Like I, I haven't um, been a victim of domestic violence myself. Um, however, I have had a situation where a boyfriend started trying to take control of those things. And I very much was like, this is bad. I don't want to find out where this is going. And right. I left and 
for school the next day and never came back. And it turned into, you know, showing up at my parents' house and my classrooms and pulling me out of a midterm to yell at me and sending his friends into classrooms to like, give me letters, you know, and like, in that example, you know, I don't know whether there would have ever have been an issue, but his reaction to my leaving told me that I definitely made the right choice. And even if he hadn't acted that way, I, I just, I'm glad I never found out, you know, what the other option was, you know, and there's, there's a lot of people in the world who will like love you and adore you and treat you the right right. way Mm -hmm. you do not Mm -hmm. only have one chance at this love thing right and I would even hazard to guess and say um to take it even one step further first of all he was stalking you there's no getting around that (laughs) stalking is a form of that violence it really is because you you begin to lose your autonomy it's like looking over your shoulder every moment oh my god the phone's ringing again or yeah yeah um And then the second part is there may not even come someone into your life whom you fall in love with and you have a healthy relationship with, but that's even better than being in a a situation in which someone's hurting you. Well, yes. I always say you've got oh yourself, God. baby. That's right. I mean, yeah, I'm that's my right. best friend and my best partner. That's right. I'm best. I think I'm a pretty good date to myself. Yeah, so. <laughs> Definitely have a great better time. than any <laughs> dom- abusive situation I right. had yeah. ever found myself in. Right. Um, mm-hmm. What do you think besides why doesn't she leave is the most misunderstood thing um, about domestic violence, um, I guess, as as it pertains to um, the United States. You know, I think the most misunderstood is even when you explain why she doesn't leave, the other common um, response I get, well, there are resources. Okay. Uh, First of all, you name them if you know what they are. Yeah. Uh, secondly, are there enough resources? Um, third, uh, how does a victim, unless they have the space and safety to talk about it, how do they know what resources are there? Mm-hmm. Um, so until we make it a nice, a nice, a national conversation, constantly, uh, they will continue to ask why she doesn't leave, there will continue to be a misconception. Here's the other piece that that I got to tell you just makes me um, a little bit crazy, Um, is there is also assumption um, that um, domestic violence victims and survivors don't need help because they're adults and they've made this choice and yada, yada, yada. and I would say, yeah, I'm sorry. I've had, that's, just, I had it happen to me. Like yeah. I was actually, so like, you can't even ask us for help because you knew right. full, like completely what you're getting yeah. into. Mm. No, oh God. no. Oh. And, and let's say that you even hung in there to say it's got to get better and blah, blah, blah. There is still, a, you know, we talked about uh, the white business, she, she leave or he leave, it, you know, all those myriad of issues finances, blah, blah, job, kids, um, all of that. So if someone I 
thought I loved and thought loved me or whatever that situation is, and they've been harmful to me. Um, I also need navigation around what I can do differently, even as an adult. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I'm incapable. No. It doesn't mean anything other than I need a resource friend or a family member or somebody to talk to, to help me navigate. Yeah. We're social beings. We do That's not right. thrive in isolation. That's right. That's why isolation is such a, yeah. a dangerous tactic. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, I think a couple of our, our next questions were, how can our listeners be better advocates and how can we support someone in our lives going through this? And I think you really just spoke to that, but is there anything else that kind of this, this state, this framing of the question brings up for you? You know, I, I just always say, be the, the seed planter, mm-hmm. be the one that plants the seed very gently, kindly. And with an understanding, having, without even saying, I understand domestic violence, because you you don't need to say that. Of course, you can say, I think you're going through something. I want you to know that I'm here if and when you ever might want to talk. And I may also have some resources for you. They might say, are you crazy? You have no idea what you're talking about. And you say very nicely, okay got it. But I guarantee you, they won't forget that you opened the door for them um, to be able to talk this through. Mm -hmm. Um, And they may never come back. Who knows? We have to be willing for those of us who are outsiders to what might be happening to someone else. We have to be willing to take a little bit of pain with it because it may not be, Oh my God, you're such a savior. Thank you so much. For yeah, <laughs> totally. Probably yeah. won't yeah. be actually. Right. That's just yeah. not right. how this works. That's right. Janice, you are absolutely correct. That's not how this works. You're yeah. bringing something to them that they've been skilled at hiding yeah. um, because it could mean life or death for them if they reveal. Um, so why would they say, Oh, thank you so much, Claire. I really appreciate how you don't expect that. Be okay with that not happening. Yeah. And I guess that that ties into losing friends in these situations where they're like, I can't watch this anymore. You know, uh, like if you try to have this conversation and gently offer like, Hey, I might have some resources for you and they don't accept and they don't come to you with like, thank you so much. Open arms, you know, everyone has choice and you we're not going to force anyone to remain watching something that really hurts them to see happen. But I guess, you know, do you have any words for, for people who are getting impatient and frustrated with, with a friend who's going through this? And I also just that with these, the, you know, the cycle of domestic violence, it repeats itself. And Mm -hmm. I know that people in my life just got kind of exhausted, like, all right, you know, like six months ago, we were going through this. Now it's happening again and again and again. And people just come like kind of lose, lose patience. I agree. Um, Mm -hmm. Patience. And what do you do? They do lose patience. 
Um, and I would like to advocate to please not lose patience. You do not have to invest in someone being hurt or violated or violence committed against them. Um, you can continue to say, when you're ready, I'm here. Mm -hmm. You don't have to get caught up in a whole lot of stuff other than listening one or two times or however many times it is that somebody needs to talk to you about it. You know, there's only one person to blame for what's going on. Yes. Yes. And that's <laughs> the person that's the abusive person. Yeah. <clears throat> we don't do enough in the society to hold that person accountable. Yeah. We want to hold uh, alcohol accountable. We want to hold drugs accountable. We want to hold the workplace accountable. We want to hold their parents accountable. We want to, you know, no. Yeah. Being abusive to somebody that you claim to care about is a choice. You made that choice. The other party did not make that choice. Yeah. Even in these events of what they're terming mutual combat. Oh, please. What? <laughs> Someone is the aggressor. Yeah. Now it may not be the person we'd like to think is the aggressor, or it may not be the person that we'd like to think are your stereotypical view, but somebody is the aggressor. Yeah. Until we hold that person accountable, let's not blame victims. And I would even suggest that outside of the cycle of domestic violence is domestic violence as perpetrated by somebody else on someone else is not predictable to the victim, is not predictable to our family and friends. The only one who gets to predict, predict it is the abusive party. Mm -hmm. So yes, I went back because they said they were going to change. I have hope they'll change. I mean, the list goes on and on. Or, you know, I was really afraid for my life. So I went back. You mm -hmm. won't understand that. Um, I could try to make you understand it, but I hope that you're there the next time. If there is a next time, because usually when we go back, we're hoping to goodness, there's not a next time. Yeah. Um, so um, I hope that answered your question, Janice. Def yes, or thank you so Claire. much. <laughs> yeah, I was, was going to say Claire, but um, right. it's okay. We're like coming okay. at you from all <laughs> right. angles. Right. Um, Not no, a this, is, this has just been like invaluable. Yeah. Um, thank you so much. I can't wait to get this out there. And what I really love is that the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is working to keep this in our conversations in this country, to open up the dialogue, to continue to advocate for legislation that supports um, survivors and protects victims. We are really looking forward to letting people know about the coalition and possibly becoming a member, learning more about your work. Absolutely. So what can you tell us about the core tenets of the agency and also what it means to become a member? Okay. Uh, the National Coalition Against Domestic, this is where I get to give you my elevator yes. speech. <laughs> the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence is 43 years old, um, as of this week, by the way. Um, and we're the oldest uh, organization on the national landscape doing this work. 
Uh, we started as a grassroots movement 43 years ago, and we like to, um, to the best of our ability in this new world with technology and such, we, we still operate from a grassroots philosophy, which is um, we believe in carrying survivors' voices. Uh, we believe in making sure that victims are treated respectfully and they get what they deserve to be safe and all of those things. And we do that three, through three efforts, policy, which Janice already talked about, um, projects, which we have many partners that we join with um, to get projects uh, off the ground and do what we can for advocates to make sure they have the tools that they can uh, to best support victims and survivors. And then certainly our, our trademark programs, which are, you know, our financial ed webinars, our emerging issue, issues, topic webinars. Uh, we have several different uh, pieces to each of those three P's is what I call them. Um, and then certainly uh, our public awareness. Um, I will talk about this as long as people will let me talk about it. Um, uh, and I hope that your listeners will talk about it as long as uh, people allow them to talk about it. Um, just use every opportunity that you can to talk about domestic violence. And that's our kind of like our motto in the office. Um, and then um, we have a membership of, of over 500, I believe. Um, and what we, our membership is made up of local community domestic violence programs, victims and survivors, law enforcement agencies, just a, a mix of, of folks. Uh, we have individual memberships, we have ally memberships, and we have alliance memberships. They come at different prices. You can find that information on our website because I'm not good at remembering that stuff. We're going to link everyone up all oh, okay. month long. All month yeah. long. Thank you. There's not going to be any excuse. It's going to be everywhere. Yeah. That right. Is. right. <laughs> um, I would also say, and we would love to have new members. Um, our members, are alerted when there's legislation that needs to be addressed when we would ask for you to call your Congress. Uh, we make sure that there's a monthly newsletter, uh, uh, not your, just your Congress, so call your legislator. We have a monthly newsletter that updates everyone on what's going on in, in our, our um, uh, entity, our program, the National Coalition Against Domestic Violence, but also is there, are there other things on the landscape of domestic violence uh, that's occurring? Um, we have a couple of member benefits that have to do with retirement plans and those kinds of things. Uh, mm -hmm. But we welcome new members all the time because the louder our voices, particularly in the policy area, you know, where we send out an action alert that says, please call your congressperson and let them know they can't do this to X or let them know that we applaud what they've done for X. Um, because truly, um, for a lot of resources and, uh, support that victims, survivors and advocates get, it comes out of Congress. And so, uh, and we have the ability, um, to do some things most of our other national partners cannot do, which is, um, truly advocate in that way and act as grassroots because we get absolutely no grant funding. Yeah, so I want to highlight that. Yeah. For an organization of your size and as far reaching as it is, 
they are dependent on donations and memberships and not grants. It's remarkable. It is remarkable. Um, every end of the year, when I look at our individual donations, I'm just blown away um, by the people who are committed to contributing. We get a $1 bill a month from one of our individual dollar donors. Oh, $1 bill every month. I wish I were kidding, but I'm not. Um, That's so to, nice. <laughs> somebody who's got a recurring quarterly for $25 to someone who annually they write a thousand dollars checks and says, keep up the good work. We're behind you. Mm-hmm. Uh, wish I had more money or, you know, something like that. Um, but it, it, it's a demonstration from this pocket of people who know that uh, the national coalition is doing what we can to keep those voices raised, but they are also, um, a myriad of victims and survivors who say, I'm going to, even if it's just a membership, I'm going to do something. Yeah. Uh, and I shouldn't say, I'm, I'm saying what they might be saying to themselves. Um, mm-hmm. We have no judgment on memberships. We love our members. Mm-hmm. Um, so just gives you an example. I, I'm just always blown away um, at the final accounting of the year of how many of those have been individual donors and what we are able to do our work with, uh, or how we're able to do our work with the support of those individual donors. We're not even talking about corporate or, or yeah. other types. Wow. That's incredible. Yeah. It's amazing. That's so good. We're yeah. very, very proud to be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Now, <sighs> if I could just figure out how to get the million dollar donor. All right. Well, we're, put, we're putting it out there. We're putting it out there. <laughs> Who knows what million dollar donors? Um, I don't yeah, know if any of our listeners have a million dollars, dollars but yeah, right. <laughs> um, we do have a very active community and it Absolutely. would mean a lot to Claire and I, for anyone mm-hmm. who's listening, who wants to be a part of the solution to mm-hmm. go over, make a donation, become a member, whatever excites you most. Yeah. Can I, can I also, before we uh, wrap it up, I would also say that our website, because I'm going back to what seems to be the premise of this conversation, the contextual part of this conversation, um, which is sort of, you know, why doesn't she leave? Um, Why, uh, what can we do if we're in a bystander? We have great resources on our website about that. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the, why doesn't she leave? What can family and friends do? Um, and then we also have fact sheets for each state in the nation to talk about what's happening for domestic violence in that state. So even if there's not a draw to do something nationally, there are certainly ways to do something locally. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And I'm so glad that we're helping with just one part of your, of your three-pronged tactic of communicating and sharing this information. And I know that this is going to have such an impact on anyone who listens and, um, yeah, just thank you so much for sharing your story. And I'm so glad you are here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm really grateful for that as well. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of people who who benefit um, because yeah. of that and benefit from your story. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're we're really glad you made it. Okay, and yeah. thank you. We're really proud to be partnering with you this month, and um, 
We look forward to continuing the conversation and keep up the good work. Okay, thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to X-Files, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. If you like this episode, tag us on your Instagram story so we can connect with you. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at Claire Lottas. And me, Janice, on Instagram at Janice Formicella. If you'd like to join our online community, find us on Facebook at Breakups, Broken Hearts, and Moving On.